Macworld Podcast number 287 for Wednesday, February 8th, 2012. Hello again, everyone. Welcome to the Macworld Podcast. I'm Philip Michaels. We hope you enjoyed the spate of podcasts we published last week related to the Macworld iWorld show. Uh, thanks again to Chris Breen for putting all that together. Um, we're back on our normal podcasting schedule, and we're back talking about a, a subject that first uh, arose right before Macworld iWorld, Apple's education initiative, specifically iBook Author and iBooks 2. I have the two people who've spent some time with those uh, respective applications. Uh, we have staff editor Serenity Caldwell. Hello. Our expert in all things iBooks author. <laughs> Sadly. And Lex Friedman, staff writer. Hi there. Who is the master of iBooks 2. They've uh, both had a chance to review those apps. You can read those reviews on Macworld.com. But if you're not much of the reader type, and really that's unfortunate <laughs> since we're talking about applications involving books. But let's 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 talk about the the two apps and let's start off maybe with iBooks author now um an especially relevant thing to you ren as you as part of your day-to-day tasks here at macworld help assemble our uh terrific line of ebooks yeah um when i i wrote a what three separate articles uh in the past couple weeks at macworld on EPUB software and the potentials of iBooks Author before when it was just rumors. And then afterwards, I wrote the review on iBooks Author. And I mean, I was definitely hoping for a better tool than uh, than what we had currently, which are our well, production yes. let's, process. Let's, let's yeah. take a step back. <laughs> what is the the, 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 the the Rube Goldbergian operation you have to go through to to get stuff into a publishable format currently with, oh, with, gosh. The, with it with it when you're making an ebook. It's a it's a little bit clunky and a little bit ridiculous. We use six different programs, um, sometimes seven, depending on what kind whether we're building a book solely for Apple's iOS platform or whether we're trying to build something that can also be available in print or PDF. Uh, we use products like um, BB Edit, uh, Mac, Apple's own pages, uh, Adobe InDesign, and then a couple of open source free uh, free software like Calibre and Sigil or Caliber. I can never remember how it's pronounced. And then also iTunes Producer to upload the books. And it's just – it is a big hassle. A lot of the time we have to go – from one program back to the other program, back to that original first program to make sure that everything's working. All of these programs have their own quirks and bugs. None of them do everything that we would like them to, hence why we use so many. Uh, and overall, it's just – it's a – we do this process because we, we love our readers and we really want to – we want good, uh, really high-quality books to come out of this process. But definitely it is, it is not ideal. Okay, so if you were to break down what the bullet points are for what you're looking for in a publishing uh, uh, setup, what would it be? The perfect EPUB. Well, actually, I did, in fact, write a write an article on MacWorld.com about this, and um, well, I'll just I'll just go down the list. Yep. Uh, first thing Absolutely. is, yeah, editing directly in the EPUB format. Uh, the EPUB, which is the eBooks format, is our primary format that we work in. We also export to Mobi for Kindle, but 
overall, it would be really nice to have a, an editor that actually works in the EPUB format. BB Edit can open EPUBs, but you can't add images and you can't add files to it. So unless you're making some basic corrections, it doesn't work so well. And an open source program called Sigil does allow you to edit directly into the EPUB, but it's a cross-platform tool and such is very, very clunky. So having direct EPUB editing would be awesome. Uh, a WYSIWYG editor, which iBooks author actually is, which basically allows you to, instead of having to work in code and work in C CSS, you can instead lay out the book like you would in a program like Adobe InDesign, where you can drag images and you can format text just in a rich text environment. Um, However, one of the nice things about WYSIWYG editors is being able to flip from the nice rich text view to the code view. And iBooks Author, unfortunately, does not have that. Uh, being able to import from programs like InDesign or like pages that have uh, change tracking software so that we can actually, when we're importing our copy, so that we can actually track, let's say, if our copy editors want to make changes or if we want to add images, things like that, we can have a good log of that. Right now, unless we're working in pages or InDesign, there's no real way to do that, and then we have to export it to a different format. So being able to import from something. iBooks Author, again, has limited import functionality. It can import from pages so that if you want to do if you want to build a book and you want a copy editing process, you can do so first in pages and then export it into iBooks Author. But there's no real way to export that iBooks Author file back to pages where it can be edited further without some some hijinks and some workarounds. So that's unfortunate. Um, and then editing, my last two ones are editing for metadata. So being able to edit the cover for the ebook um, and also edit what the who the authors are, the title, things like that. Apple's iTunes producer and Amazon's uh, Kindle uploader do the relatively the same things, but it would be nice to edit the edit all of this information before you start submitting it to a program. And then my final my final thing is in direct upload to the iBook store, which iBooks author sort of has. Uh, it has a button that says publish. Unfortunately, all that does is it prepackages the book that you have been working on for Apple's iTunes producer. You still need an iTunes Connect account. You still need to have signed a contract with Apple. And uh, unfortunately, you still need to have an ISBN number for your book, which Amazon's, Amazon's published a Kindle service does not require that you have an ISBN, so it's easier for independent authors to do so. Whereas if you're publishing to the iBookstore, you're required to have an ISBN, and that's a at least $25 investment, unless, and even more so if you want to publish more than one book. So those are my, my big features. So uh, you, you touched on, on, on the next question I was going to ask in your, your last answer, but I'm, I'm going to ask it anyhow. Shoot. And so the, the interviewer asked, as if he had not been paying attention, <laughs> would you say that iBooks author um, lives up to everything you were looking for and more, or does it, fall, does it fall short in some areas? He asked as if he didn't already know the answer to that question. Well, you know, I, I respect iBooks author in some, in some circumstances. It is definitely a huge leap forward in comparison to most other EPUB tools. And by gosh, there are a lot of them. Uh, and none of them quite quite do what we want. So I'm I'm not entirely surprised that iBooks Author doesn't quite fit my workflow either, because everybody's workflow is different. Um, in terms of specific features, I want it has, as I said, it has like a combination of one out of four or five. In that it has like it has half credit for 
being able to have that published button to the iBookstore but doesn't actually publish. And then it also gets half credit for being a WYSIWYG editor, but it doesn't have the code view. So that's lacking. Um, what iBooks Author does do is if you want to build really, really nice books for the iPad and actually have them look like how you've been building them, which if anybody's worked with e-publishing software before, they know that getting a book to look the way you'd like it to when in contrast between when you're working it on the computer and when it actually appears on the end device is very difficult. And as a reason for that, I, uh, Apple has basically made this I made iBooks author export to these weird .ibooks files, which are kind of like the EPUB files that it supports in iBooks, which are open, open and um, are also used, I believe, on the Nook, although Amazon has a proprietary format that they use. Um, but they, they have crafted this iBooks tool so that they can basically ensure that everything you do in iBooks author translates exactly into iBooks without any weird uh, weird translations or misplaced images or weird font uh, hullabaloos. So iBooks Author produces, uh, in landscape mode, fixed format books for your iPad and for your iPad only, unfortunately. This tool does not create books for the iPhone, which uh, for us at least, for Macworld, is a really big uh, non-selling point because we like to distribute our books on the iPhone, on the iPad, and then other platforms, which we'll get to in a second. Right. Um, and the first of many uh, iPad-only features we'll be lamenting in this this podcast, <laughs> I believe. Yes, exactly. So that's that's one problem um, with iBooks Author. But, I mean, it, it does for if you want to create an iPad-only book and you're willing to live with limitations, if you're willing to live with the iPad-only limitation, you're willing to live with the fact that as it's a relatively new tool, it still has a couple of bugs. And also it the, um, the initial templates that it has out are very clearly geared towards textbook authors. And in fact, the program itself has quirks that are very clearly geared towards textbook authors and teachers wanting to create textbook materials. Uh, you can create different uh, different books. And in fact, there are already people who have released free templates for iBooks Author, and you can also create your own template. It's still, if you're going towards the program as a complete, you know, as a complete newbie, and you really don't want to invest a couple hours building your own custom template for a book that's not a textbook, you're going to run into some trouble. Okay, let's let's pull back from wish lists and 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 and, and all that for a moment. Let's talk about the process of using uh, iBooks Author and just uh, someone sits down to create a textbook. How are they going to find using this application? Well, if you're sitting down to create a textbook, it's actually remarkably simple. iBooks Author lays out most everything for you in a pretty clear cut, easy to use fashion. They have um, really nice support documents available on their website as well, which I think we can probably put in the, the show notes. Uh, but it gives you a template. It, uh, it's one of five templates, I believe, or one of six templates, excuse me, uh, that are all based. There's a basic, a contemporary, a modern type, classic editorial, and a craft template. And editing those is fairly simple. You just choose from the style of page. Just uh, similar to if you if you have any familiarity with the i with Apple's iWork line of products, then working in iBooks Author should be very similar. Even uh, even iWeb to a certain extent, if you if you have familiarity with that, and you can. Adding text is really easy. Importing from pages is actually fairly impressive. It won't keep everything, but it'll. But if you're if you're importing text and images, it'll keep it mostly in line. 
Uh, and then you can also, like you can with iWorks documents, you can add extras. You can add shapes and image masks and transitions. And you can also add these this new category that they've offered called widgets, uh, which allows you to put in an image gallery or a media file, a video. Uh, if you're building a textbook, it allows you to put in a widget called review, which allows you to basically uh, – choose if you if you're building say a science textbook and at the end of the chapter you want questions on the things that you've covered you can build these basically these built-in little quizzes that are very cute you can import keynote files uh, to create transitions and animations basic animations you can have an interactive image so you can put call outs on an image and then you can also import 3d models and import your own html via apple's dash code all right What, what would you say is your favorite feature my favorite feature. Um, that's a tough one. I have to say I really just – I like the overall thought process that went into the, that went into the app. Um, I very much like text. Text and image layout is super simple. And we've been – we're experimenting with iBooks Author, of course, here at Macworld, trying different things. And the import from pages feature, I mean – I, import was one of the things I wished for in my wish list, and they've, at least for pages, they've pulled it off very well. And you know, importing, importing a two hundred page document into iBooks Author took less than five minutes, and most everything was laid out. It's just a matter of tweaking little things. So I have to give them kudos for that. Do you see in future versions um, the importing uh, features being extended to other applications, or is this kind of it's Apple, it's Apple's ball game, and and Apple is going to Give well, it, it does support importing from Word, right? Yeah, it supports importing from Word as well. I will actually, you know, I don't know. I think you, I, I haven't actually tested importing from Word. I will take your word on that. Your word on that, yeah. Lex. Ha ha. <laughs> um, but I don't know. I I see Apple by and large restricting this to text based import and not going out of their way to. Offer import features from InDesign. I mean, they've made a very clear statement with iBooks Author that this is their proprietary program. This is designed to make their proprietary books, and especially because it is it is very much a layout program and not necessarily just word processing. iBooks Author, I can't see them offering support for something like InDesign. It just doesn't it doesn't fit their model. All right. Uh... You've touched on some of the the weaknesses in the app, but what's what's one that just really um, sets your teeth on edge? Uh, no iPhone compatibility, really. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of this and the and the dot iBooks format, where a lot of the things in the dot iBooks format they've made are proprietary. You know, these proprietary fake CSS extensions to do things like text kerning and to keep two text documents together. And that seems all well and good in theory, except for when you realize that most of these things are widely available in CSS3 and HTML5. And as a, as such, they could have very easily built this tool so that it was easily available um, to export to EPUB. And instead, they decided to go with the iBooks format. And I have no idea whether that was done because they really just want a proprietary format and they don't want people to try and open these books on other platform or other readers because they just won't uh, they won't translate very well, or whether it's just that iBooks author is a 1.0 and they really needed to rush this thing out the door. And there, I mean, I lean towards there are certain things that may have been rushed out the door. The more I look at it, where it's just like they're. They have a the portrait view uh, for these fixed format 
pseudo fixed format iBooks author books could translate very easily into an iPhone version. And I think that those, while they really frustrate me, they may just be 1.0 omissions that they may have been working on, but it just wasn't ready yet, so they decided to leave it out of the final build. Mm-hmm. One one question that I've been struggling with since um, Apple first took the wraps off this application is who is it really intended for? It doesn't seem like like the the folks at the textbook publishers are sitting around going, "Oh, if only we could have an a proprietary Apple tool to <laughs> to build electronic textbooks." It, 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 is this aimed at um, uh, self publishers? Is it aimed at teachers in the classroom who just want to put together very nice looking course materials? Who uh, you've used the the app? So who who do you think? it hits the sweet spot for. I think especially the way they are positioning it is very much for teachers in the classroom, uh, professors, independent independent uh, educators who really want to put together materials for their students in the, in the next generation age uh, who don't want to build a, you know, they people who can't really afford to build an app for their students or small, you know, small publishers who really do want to put something out for sale but don't necessarily want to build an app or they don't want to build just a static book or they don't want to put the time and energy into trying to work and wrestle with the EPUB format to make it look properly. Mm-hmm. I mean, the big the big problem with EPUB books to date is just to make anything that's interactive, which is something that textbook, you know, small publishers and teachers really want to do, you would have to build an app because the EPUB format just doesn't doesn't really fully support it, at least, and probably won't for another six months or so until they translate over to EPUB 3. Uh, so in terms of, yeah, as this app is definitely primarily geared towards the Smiler mindset, independent publishers and and teachers who want to create something for free within their own classroom. You know, Ren, I was even just going to add that – and tell me if I'm dead wrong because I often am about these sort of things. But my uh, the best analogy or the most apt analogy I can come up with is that uh, for long-time Mac users is that iBooks author is very reminiscent of HyperCard in that respect where it's you know it's a tool that you can create very amateurish looking stuff if you don't spend any time or it's a tool where you can create you know really interactive and beautiful and and useful and helpful things uh if you're willing to take the time to do it that apple's providing the the glue and then you have to use apple's tools to to use it you know the same as with a, a hypercard stack only now it's 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 like a, a light version of an app that you can run on within the iBooks app on your iPad uh but it's obviously just contained it's constrained in what it can do and you create it only using Apple's tool. Yeah, I mean, I've def- I heard that when iBooks Author was first announced and had a little chuckle myself over the the concept. And I, it's a start. It's it's HyperCard Lite 1.0. In that uh, right now, again, it's pretty much it's limited to the iBook Store and it's something like that. If Apple decides to expand this tool to say Apple's newsstand or something like that, where we basically get to see them opening out their focus beyond just textbook publishers, then yes, absolutely, I think so. And I mean, some of the tools are still, again, a little rough. But I, I can definitely see it going along that path where it's just it's giving people who otherwise wouldn't be building apps the tools to build basic interactive functionality into something that was previously very static. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm disappointed that we didn't get the chance to declare that, that Lex is wrong. Uh, let's, <laughs> Next time. Let's dive into the world of end-user license agreements. Always, okay. a, always a delightful topic and a source of controversy 
it seems, with, with iBooks author. Um, give us the, the rundown of what the, the big to-do is. Well, the issue with the iBooks author EULA, or End User License Agreement, is initially when iBooks author 1.0 was released, the EULA said very, very broadly that a user who is creating a work in iBooks author, that work must only be sold through the iBookstore, or if the user would like to, can give it away for free elsewhere. But if the user wants to sell it, period, it must be sold through the iBookstore. So two problems with that. Number one, it's the fact that limiting something that you create within a program to one avenue of sale is really frustrating. Even though it is a proprietary format, it's still – it's like, Apple, really? You're telling us what to do? It's like, it's like being in GarageBand and creating a song and then Apple basically saying, if you want to sell that song, you can only sell it through iTunes. We won't let you sell it through Bandcamp or any of the third-party music distribution centers. So that's one part. And then the second part of the 1.0 EULA was the bro- this weird broad definition of the iBook as a work which basically impl- could imply that Apple, any content you put into the iBooks author book, Apple would own that as well as the format. And everybody, include myself included, basically went, well, I don't necessarily think that they're implying that Apple also owns the content. Uh, they're just implying that maybe this format. Um, and they clarified in a subsequent update that was released last week, Lex. I was about, I was about to say, there, yeah. there, there are changes afoot in the world of... Uh... The world of EULAs. Yes, Lex, would right. you like to? <laughs> sure. Yeah, just in the very beginning of February, Apple uh, Apple rolled out iBooks one iBooks author one point zero point one, and the only update listed in the Mac App Store that uh, came along with that one point zero point one upgrade was it provides an updated version of the end user license agreement, and really all the the only change to the EULA is clarifying that it's uh, specifically iBooks. Dot, dot iBooks files uh, that are subject to that restriction in terms of what you can do with them. So uh, if you create an export, as you'd expect most people would be doing, if you create a an iBooks, interactive iBooks author book and save it as a dot iBooks file, that's where Apple's saying if you want to sell that, you've got to go through the iBook store. And if you want to give it away, you can do whatever you'd like. The rest of your content, if you export it as the other two options, PDF or text, you're free to do with as you'd like, and Apple doesn't claim any restrictions on your ability to sell it. Now, how well one could sell the PDF or text export of an iBooks author book is a separate question, but at least you're free to try to do so. Well, and it's also the clarification that, for instance, in our position, if Macworld wanted to make a book both exclusive for the iPad using iBooks author and also make a separate copy of that book that would run on iPhones and the Amazon Kindle, we could do so and Apple would not get upset with us. We just could not reuse that .ibooks file and tinker with it and turn it into an EPUB or Mobi. Right. So uh, do you see Apple making additional changes in the future to its uh, to its end user license agreement uh, as iBooks author takes off or, or doesn't take off? Well, in my mind, as long as Apple is limiting you're, until Apple adds another export option, which I don't think is very likely, namely an, an ability to export to EPUB, I don't see any need for them to change the EULA at this point, right? The, what what I think, I don't publish our books at Macworld, and you know that's Ren's job, and that's why Ren is often so grumpy. But <laughs> the you yes, know, that the, really comes across in the podcast. Just what a <laughs> grumpy person she is. But, Only um, on certain days, <laughs> you know the. Uh, 
right now, if, if, if I were in Ren's shoes, it would be the, the biggest frustration to me about iBooks author is that if I create a book, I can't just create it, a beautiful interactive book in iBooks author and export a dumbed down EPUB version to share with other devices. Uh, instead, I've got to create one versus an iBooks author and then go into an EPUB creation process like Ren described to, to create books for other platforms. If Apple doesn't change that, if Apple doesn't give me the option to export a dumbed down EPUB version, then there's no reason for them to say, we're going to continue to let you create these beautiful interactive iBooks files and you can feel free to sell them without going through our store uh, and give yourselves all the profit and cut us out of it. It's, it's, just, it's the same reason Apple doesn't let people sell apps outside the App Store. You can sell you know, a web app and I think Apple's response will be sure you can create a generic EPUB file and uh, sell that on your own. But if you want to go through Apple Store, I, I can't see Apple saying we're going we're gonna to cut out that part of our EULA that says uh, you have to sell it through us because that's, that's kind of how Apple's making this business work for itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I unfortunately I have to agree with Lex again. Uh, and <laughs> this is a dark day in the macro. It macro-world. really, really <laughs> is. I I would love for iBooks Author to export to EPUB because, again, as Lex yeah. said, it would make my job so easy because then I could just lay it, everything out and then just press two buttons, check it out really quickly, and then be like, "Oh, this this looks pretty. I'll just put these up on the store." But unfortunately, the world of EPUBs is not like that, uh, and I don't—I really don't see Apple making any step towards more open compatibility, at least with this program. Uh, maybe, maybe in the future they will put out an EPUB author, but this is very clearly iBooks author. It's—it's it's aimed towards Apple's iBook store, and I—I I don't see that changing anytime soon. So from the tool that you use to create books to the tool that you use to consume them, let's switch over to iBooks 2. Um, Lex. Yes. You reviewed the app for us. I did. Take, and you a, know, take us through the highlights, I was going to say. Sure. You know, when I reviewed iBooks 2, to me, it's Apple has sort of glued together two separate apps. That was sort of the thesis, I think, of my review. There's iBooks 2 contains pretty much the original iBooks that you know and either love or at least like, and then sort of glommed on a, a separate hybrid upgraded iBooks 2, which is the version that can read these new, beautiful, interactive iBooks author style books, mostly textbooks right now. I can understand very clearly why Apple didn't want to create a second and separate e-reading app to handle those books. But it really is, it's two different experiences within the iBooks app now when you read one versus when you read the other. So if you've ever used iBooks before, iBooks 2 is exactly the same when you're reading traditional books with words and maybe some images and nothing else. Where the the real changes are uh, are when you're reading these new fancy books, uh, and the experiences. And, and, and these are the fancy books or optimized books, uh, that, right? That you're getting through the uh, textbook section of the iBookstore, correct? Right, okay. exactly right. And now you'll assuming folks publish books like for example our books aren't textbooks if we manage to publish some iBooks author books through the iBookstore you'll be able to find them in other sections too and i believe that apple <laughs> apple owns the special distinction now if you look through the iBook store uh, different books now have just like apps do they'll tell you what their requirements are you know to read this book you will need an ipad running ios 5 with iBooks 2 or later um so it's the, the books, just like the apps now, have these you know minimum OS restrictions. Uh, but so yeah, you, you'll be able to find them anywhere throughout the bookstore once people start publishing iBooks author books, uh, even at, that aren't of the textbook variety. But when you're 
reading them, you know, the the experience that uh, that Phil Schiller demoed uh, at that keynote at the Guggenheim Museum is, you know, pretty much exactly what you get when you're using your iPad to do it. You you've got these. They, and I, Ren, you'll have to tell me whether iBooks Author generates them automatically or you do it yourselves. But you've got these interactive tables of contents that you create where each chapter gets an overview of the contents within that chapter and you can jump ahead to them. And then when you're reading, you know, it's a fairly traditional flipping through virtual pages uh, as you go. And then whenever you see one of these interactive elements, you tap on it and start interacting with it, whether it's a, a photo slideshow or a 3D figure or a, a video. Uh, or some other kind of fancy animation. Yeah, um, iBooks Author actually does auto-generate those uh, those table of contents pages for you, although you can customize them to a limited extent. Actually, one of my frustrations with the app is that it's currently the only way to lay out a table of contents is in the textbook chapter number dot section number format, which... <laughs> uh, which works perfectly well for textbooks, but not so well if you're trying to put together, say, a richly illustrated historical fiction novel. Right. Now, you know, now Ren was talking before about, you know, how these books are, uh, uh, I don't remember what the term was used, but it sounded very smart, but like they're fixed width books. Was that... Yeah, fixed format. Uh, pseudo, fixed format. Pseudo fixed format because they're fixed right. format in landscape view, but in portrait they, flow, they reflow, which basically means that you can change the text size at will. Ex- Exactly right. So, you know, one of the advantages of ebooks over paper books is, you know, with ebooks, you can tweak the font to your liking, at least as far as the app will allow you to do so. So, if, you know, as you get older, like me, you can bump up the font size from what Ren might be comfortable with. So, you know, you can't do that when you're reading the traditional book in, or the, when you're reading the, the optimized iBook in landscape format. But like Ren says, if I switch to portrait, I can suddenly tweak everything. All the, all the uh, interactive elements and images and other things that are more fancifully laid out in landscape get uh, shunted over to the left margin when I'm in portrait mode. And then when I'm, so I can still tap into them and interact with them and see each thing and it'll get larger when I do so. But the text itself just runs in a long, you know, a column that I, I keep comparing to Safari Reader. It's basically just the, the, the reading optimized version of the book. The, the only thing that I think is truly uh, tricky isn't necessarily the right word, but the, the non-intuitive, let's say, about using iBooks 2 when you're reading one of these optimized books is how you get back to that chapter listing. It's this to me, at least it's, it's not a, a, an entirely intuitive gesture where you basically do a, a two finger or more pinch to get out of your page that you're reading back to the table of contents. And there's, there's no direct single tap way to get there. You can tap on a button in the header and then tap on the table of contents button. But if you want to go right back to the table of contents, you sort of pinch together your page to get back there. Uh, on the when you're reading a regular book within the app, it's it's a little bit simpler. You can just tap and go to where you want to go uh, a little bit more natively, or a little bit more intuitively, let's say. Uh, but I mean, that's really a pretty small critique to level at this uh, at when you're reading optimized books. Is there a particular feature with iBooks Two that you enjoy? Well, you know, it's it's subtle and it's perhaps even silly to love, but I am very impressed by. Uh, the improvement Apple made to highlighting text, at least when you're reading optimized books. You know, when you can see the experience is really lousy on a hardware Kindle, uh, except for the touch ones, uh, where you have to sort of move a little cursor around to where you want it to go and hit a button and then move the cursor to where you want your highlight to end and then press the button again. And even on, you know, the, the Kindle and iBooks apps uh, in their original incarnations uh, on iOS, you have to... 
it took a little bit more effort than seemed necessary to highlight text. But now with when you're reading an optimized book, at least, you can just stick your finger on the words you want to highlight and start dragging and boom, they're highlighted. Then if you want to get fancier and add notes or change your highlight color, you got to tap on your highlight again. But it means you can highlight text as as painlessly or as you know friction freely as you could with a regular highlighter, which you probably don't want to use on your iPad. Uh, and so uh, it's you know just the ability to start highlighting without having to to go into another mode or first select the text and then hit a highlight button, I think is great. Unfortunately, it does not carry over when you're reading regular books, and I don't read that many textbooks, but I'm optimistic that Apple will will put that saner, smarter, quicker highlighting feature on the reading regular iBooks side as well. And the highlighting uh, features uh, uh, support the the new note card uh, capability. Exactly. Okay. And th- so those new note cards, just in brief, are pretty fancy. Uh, if you the, the, the apparently the word uh, the the sponsored word today in the podcast is fancy. Yes, brought to you by the letter F. <laughs> I'm imagining but, Lex dressed in in, in breeches and. Uh, Wearing a top hat and cane. Top yes. hat and cane. I'm a fancy guy. People mm-hmm. who know me know this. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know when you, so all the notes you take, you, like I said before, when you make a highlight, you can then add some notes to it if you'd like. But all the notes that you accumulate can be gathered up into a, a notes view, and you can just review your notes and see all your highlights, see any yep. other notes you added, and tap into them, or you can tap the study cards button, and then you get these large. Uh, Oh, I guess photorealistic uh, note cards to look at. And the note cards contain all of your highlights on one side. Any notes you added are on the flip side. You can also get any built-in glossary terms you can have included in the note cards as well. And it's a nice way you can have the app shuffle them up and then quiz yourself and just, you know, tap to flip them over, flick them away to rotate to the next card. And, I, you know, as a as a student, I never studied using note cards, but that's probably more a testament to my own laziness than anything else. I think... I, I can't swear to it, but I think that if I were a student now and had a textbook that was on the iPad and had this option, that it would be a, a very fine way to study since it gathers all your notes in one place. Yeah. Are there any features uh, introduced in I, iBooks 2 that, that feel not fully implemented yet or that seem flawed or that you really didn't care for? Well, I bet Lex will agree with me on this one, which is not so much note cards, but making notes can occasionally be a little tricky. Or rather, making notes is okay, but once you've made the note, trying to open it, they uh, they stick they stick notes in textbooks right along the outer margins. So if you're trying to tap on the note, and this happened in the demo, more than once, uh, you will end up flipping the page before you get the exact tap size. And it, that happened repeatedly during the demos at the Guggenheim, which I found quite amusing. Hmm. Hmm. Um, we touched on this um, earlier. This is an iPad-only uh, capability, and I know, Lex, that you are not really understanding why Apple went with that uh, decision. Yeah, that's, that's probably my single biggest criticism against the, the uh, le- that I can level against the you know, the optimized iBooks experience. Like, you know, like Ren was saying earlier, they've, they've got this, you know, portrait view that makes things that I think could be easily somehow, if anybody could do it, Apple's designer could do it, ported to the iPhone. Uh, it seems to me that, you know, one of the advantages, I talked about font sizes already, but one of the advantages to eBooks over paper books is that I can read them anywhere and that everything's always in sync and I don't have to carry a, an extra book with me. So if I am in the middle of a, a great sci-fi novel, let's say, and I'm reading it on my Kindle, and then I find that I'm in, 
the passenger seat of a car with time to kill, I can catch up on a few more pages from my iPhone and it's exactly synced right. The fact that I can't read these textbooks on the iPhone doesn't just mean that, you know, there's fewer opportunities for me to do my studying, but it also means that Apple makes its own job harder. If Apple really wants to dominate the textbook market, now they've got to require that every single student who wants these textbooks owns an iPad. And I think it's it's probably much more likely that a lot of these students own iPhones or iPod touches than than iPads. And we're not even talking about the lack of Mac equivalent software for iBooks. Right. Okay. You, you've you said that it's sort of uh, uh, two experiences in one app. Is the textbook reading experience on in iBooks 2 a, a good one, Lex? It's, I mean, that's a, that's a loaded question. It is a loaded question. <laughs> it's, you know what? Here's the thing. The textbooks are beautiful. They're very cool to look at. They're fun to read. And the, you know, <laughs> I, I literally laughed in my seat at the Guggenheim when they demoed the first book and they open it and they say, look, when you open this book, a movie plays. I've never seen a textbook do that. And well, clearly that's not a textbook, right? That's, that's a movie instead. But, you know, when you, when you read those books and you have it in landscape mode, the interactions are, are very cool. But I... I guess, and I, I feel like an an, an old fuddy duddy for saying so. I'm also sponsored by Fuddy Duddy, mm. uh, but it um, you know, it just feels a little bit limiting to me that I can only experience those nice multi-column layouts and and clever interactions in the way that the book designer wants me to appreciate them, if I'm willing to stay in landscape mode and thus sacrifice my ability to tweak the fonts. Uh, to a more readable size. Like it seems silly to me that, I, you know, the, the default font I've seen in, in all the textbooks I've looked at, and I've looked at several of the ones that are available today in the app store or in the iBook store, uh, it's, it's a little small. And uh, I like to bump up the font size when I can so that I don't have to worry about squinting or getting a headache from reading text that's a little bit smaller than I prefer. And that I can't is odd. Now, it's, that's, it's not a huge complaint because I can always rotate it to portrait and read the text that way at whatever size I want. But it seems a little bit silly to me that I can't do that. And I understand, I understand some of the technical limitations where, you know, it would mean that layouts had a reflow and such. But, I'm, you know, websites do it very well. Or Apple lets me at least double tap in and zoom on them. But there's things that I – these are things that I can't do uh, when I'm reading the way that the book's author would like me to do so in iBooks author, I think that or in iBooks too. And I think that's a little bit silly. It's it is a good experience. And there's no I, I can't imagine a student looking at it and saying, boy, this this digital interactive textbook sucks. I mean, these are these are nice things and they're they're well done, but I, I do think that they are if I had a <laughs> I enjoy the reading experience of a regular book in iBooks more because I can do whatever I want with the text and I, I like that better. Uh, a wee bit of housekeeping. Uh, since you published your review of iBooks 2, Apple uh, uh, came out with an update that seemed to address some of the uh, occasional crashes that you experienced in uh, when, when testing out the app the first time. Have you um, have you noticed an improvement in that regard? Yes, things are definitely better. I don't think I was alone in noticing that, especially when you're opening these gigantic massive, you know, multi-gigabyte textbooks that the the app could crash or shut down when you try to open or close those books. And those problems do seem to have successfully been mitigated with the uh, the most recent iBooks update, which I think also came out on February 3rd. Okay. Let's um let's close with one last loaded question, which I'll throw out to the 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 panelists at large. Apple um either by uh by design or by uh by accident seems to be looking to 
insert itself in reinventing how people uh, create textbooks, how people learn. Uh, it seemed to be one of the stated goals at the at the January uh, uh, press conference. Are they off to a good start with these these two applications? Um, I'd say they're off to a promising start, but they've got a long way to go. They've they've run about half a mile in this in this very long journey. In that, it's very nice to put out these beautiful tools and say, "All right, education industry, come come here, come hither." Uh, but they <laughs> they need to they need to make iPads if they're going to restrict it to iPads. They need to make iPads more affordable to the education industry. They need to figure out a way to do book licensing. Right now, uh, the way they have it set up is that people can buy uh, books in bulk. Uh, like a school administrator can buy a hundred copies of of E.O. Wilson's, you know, nature book, uh, but those are distributed as redeem codes for each individual student. Uh, so it would be nice to instead of to do that, to say have apps that they could put on on pre-owned iPads or things like that, because I just don't think it's realistic that every student in a public or private school can own their own iPad. Uh, they also they need to, again, add more features to iBooks Author. They need to expand the platforms because iPad only, as I said before, it's it's all well and good to idealize that, yes, people in the classrooms will all be using iPads and this will be the future. But plenty of people still have Macs. They still have, they have iPhones. They have iPod Touches. And, um, and also the fact that this is currently just limited to high school and we haven't even do- like gotten into the college arena. Uh, which I think will be very interesting because right now Apple's trying to li- limit textbooks to $15. And that's well, well and good when you're talking about high schools. But when you're talking about college textbooks, I mean, I know most of my college textbooks were in the multi-hundred dollar range. And uh, and Apple, I think, is going to have a pretty fun fight with publishers if they're going to try and get those those formerly multi-hundred dollar books down to 15 or 20 And And with the... Um... With the the high schools, it's not like you can hand those books down uh, year after year as you do with traditional textbooks, or so it would seem. No, right? I, it's it's you know the the book is going to be tied to an individual Apple ID, so the school could decide you know we're going to buy hundreds or thousands of five hundred dollar iPads, and then these are going to be the school's iPads. So each iPad gets its own unique Apple ID, and then. If they keep the iPad, they could give it to a new student the next year, and that student can get the book. But one of Apple's you know, uh, pitches for this is that, you know, the maximum price they're going to let you sell uh, one of these textbooks at is $15. And so your schools are going to save a lot of money because textbooks are often more expensive than that. But if the school has to add in the cost of purchasing all of these $500 iPads and maintaining them and repairing them or replacing them when they get broken, uh, since, you know, kids are handling them and kids can't be trusted with anything. Uh, I don't see that as a long-term cost-saving solution. So I I would echo everything Ren said. I agree with everything she said because this is a controversy-free podcast. But, um, you know, it's I, I for one, will be surprised. And I hate to to come out against Apple because you tend to sound stupid uh, in retrospect. But I will be surprised if Apple can truly reinvent the education market unless it's got more announcements that it hasn't made yet. Because, you know, if Apple can introduce a a more competitively priced education iPad uh, 
that's you know just sold to school districts or something, then sure. But right now, it seems like a very expensive proposition for any school to try to dive into, since it only works with iPads. Well, it's it's certainly a topic I think that we'll we'll be keeping a close eye on, if for no other reason than to have the chance to make Lex look stupid. <laughs> I, I'd like to thank uh, both of my guests uh, for coming on the the podcast today. The the fanciful fuddy duddy uh, Lex Friedman. Always a pleasure. Uh, thank you, Serenity Caldwell, for coming hither. I, no problem. <laughs> and uh, thank you, listener, for uh, for uh, tuning in this week. We'll be back next week with more Mac and iOS discussion. Until then, take care. <laughs>